Thanks for joining us this week, and welcome to Mutuality Matters, a weekly podcast hosted by CBE International, where our mission is to promote the biblical message that God calls women and men of all cultures, races, and classes to share authority equally in service and leadership in the home, church, and world. On this episode of Mutuality Matters, Amy Haddad continues her conversation with Philip B. Payne, a member of CBE's Bible Translation team. So, Phil, how can English readers find better strategies in avoiding translation bias and error? One of the most helpful things I have found uh, is if a reader can use an interlinear Greek, English, or Spanish, Greek, uh, French, Greek, German, Greek uh, translation, and then they can see in 1 Timothy 3, for instance, uh, that wherever there's a he, him, or his in the English, there's no corresponding word in Greek. Uh, if you have that, even if you don't know Greek, you can see, aha, the English has added that word. So that's one very helpful tool. Um, a second helpful thing is to compare different translations uh, and see where they differ. And that gives you an idea of some of the range of possible meanings. Uh, a third thing is always to ask the question, how does this fit with what I know from the rest of Scripture? Because if a translation does not fit and doesn't make sense, then chances are it's either been translated incorrectly uh, or uh it may actually not have been in the original text. So you, you come to the text with a sympathy, uh, that trusting God knows what he was inspiring, uh, and I may not understand it, so I'm willing to put something aside temporarily, uh, admitting I'm not sure what it is. Right. Well, thank you. Yes, humility goes a long way. I agree. Very good. So, Phil, this is a question that's very dear to my heart. Can you speak to some of the fallout of failed Bible translations on the everyday lives and lived experiences of girls and women in the church and around the world? How do ideas have consequences? Oh, my. Uh, I, I got a letter about a week ago. And I just want to read it to you. Mm -hmm. It's a woman writing. I believed that God saw me as an inferior creation and a secondary member of his kingdom. Mm. Your words, shaped by your submission to scripture, regardless of how well it conformed to your pre-existing opinions, mm. fell like rain in the desert. I can now confidently embrace all of God's promises to man, believing that they include me. Hmm. Not as an appendage or as an accessory, but as a woman and a fellow image bearer. Hmm. I am experiencing my adoption a second time, hmm. this time as both a woman and a son. Hmm. Joshua and my marriage has been affirmed and our unity strengthened as we've studied your books together. And for the first time, I feel truly and completely united to God's family. Well, thanks be to God. You see, when we look at 
and listen to what people are saying. Many people are saying that the Bible, and Paul in particular, hated women. But when you look at Paul's writings, he is the most eloquent defender of the equality of man and woman of any Hellenistic author. Mm -hmm. Uh, Who else in identifying 10 colleagues in leadership by name will have seven of them be women? Right. Chapter 16. (laughs) Who else says that in Christ there is no male-female division? Hallelujah. Else, like in Ephesians, and in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 11, says the really important point mm-hmm. is that woman is not separate from man, nor is man separate from woman in the Lord. Mm-hmm. And then he goes on to say, for just as woman came from man, every man comes through woman, and all this is from the Godhead. Mm-hmm. So he's making it very clear that even though woman should respect man as her source, mm-hmm. that man should also respect woman as his source. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he can't be arguing from uh, a, a hierarchical perspective. You couldn't because that undermines that interpretation of the source. The other thing is remember that this entire passage is about leadership in the church, both the horizontal dimension, prophecy, and the vertical dimension, prayer. And in both of these leadership positions, Paul says the most important point, however, even though we have some separate rules for how uh, women should cover their hair, uh, and I believe that's not letting the hair down loose, and how men should not uncover their hair with effeminate hairstyles. Uh, But even though we have these separate rules because of the implications in the culture of those different uh, hairstyles, Mm -hmm. nevertheless, the most important point is that woman is not separate from man, Mm -hmm. nor is man separate from woman in the Lord, in the context of leadership and church ministry. Right. It's beautiful. Well done. You know, Phil, I've been listening to you for probably about 15 years, and I always learn something new and wonderful. Thank you. So what are some of your favorite personal uh, revisions that the New Testament team has made and why? Well, one of them is I love the human son uh, in place of the son of man. Yes. I think that's very important. It has huge implications. Another one I love is the way we've treated Ephesians chapter 5. Okay. Uh, not only do we keep the sentence together, mm-hmm. and not only do we not insert extra verbs submit whenever it's replying to the woman that are not in the text, uh, but we convey the argument in a way that I believe Greek readers understood Paul. So what we have is, after saying that we're not to be drunk with wine, uh, but we're to be filled with the Spirit, and there are all these expressions of what that means, uh, singing and making melody in your hearts and so forth. 
And then it says, submitting yourselves to one another out of respect for Christ, wives to your own husbands as to the Lord. Because man is the source of the woman. As Christ is the source of the church, he the savior of the body. I just love that translation. Mm -hmm. uh, it, we often have translations that assume that man is referring to the husband. But of the 28 times when you have uh, the word uh, woman used uh, to mean wife, it has the article. And usually the husband the same way. In this case, there is no article, the, with it. And so the natural reading is because man is the source of the woman. Uh, it's exactly the same meaning for almost identical words that Paul used in 1 Corinthians 11.3. And one other thing I love about the translation is that in 1 Timothy chapter 3, we don't have a single he, him, or his, just like the Greek. We, <laughs> uh, we, we convey the sense, and we don't say whatever man aspires the office overseer, but uh, whoever. And, and so that's... that's well, why, why don't you go ahead and read that passage for us without the gendered pronouns? Anyone who aspires to be in a position of responsibility in the church desires something worthwhile. Mm. A person in such a position, therefore, must be exemplary, devoted to one spouse if married, Sober, self-controlled, worthy respect, hospitable to everyone, a good teacher, not a heavy drinker or a bully, but gentle, peaceful, not materialistic, who takes good care of their home, whose children are obedient and respectful. For how can anyone who doesn't care for their own home take care of God's church? Not a new convert, so they won't become conceited and fall into the devil's judgment. This person must also have a good reputation beyond the church to avoid public humiliation and the devil's trap. Excellent. Now, Phil, tell us why that is more faithful to the Greek. Say that again? You tell, tell the listeners, please, if you can, how that rendition in English is more faithful to the Greek text. Well, first of all, in the Greek text, uh, the subject is anyone. Aetis. Uh, that expression, whenever it occurs in the New Testament, unless it's a specifically modified form, in every case includes women. Mm. So here, we, we translated anyone who aspires to be in a position of responsibility in the church. Uh, so that is faithful to the text. It's reflecting the meaning of the Greek. Uh, and secondly, we don't have a single masculine pronoun all through here. The ESV adds 10 masculine pronouns, <laughs> NIV 12, but they're, they're not there in the text. Hmm. Wonderful, beautiful, bravo and well done and praise be to God. CBE International presents Women in Scripture and Mission. In 1847, Rafka, a poor 11-year-old girl in Lebanon, experienced God's call in her life. She was known for her quiet service. But she was brave, saving a boy's life in the 1860s Civil War by hiding him in her nun's cloak. Devoted to others, St. Rafka taught and established schools for girls. 
As she aged, a debilitating disease paralyzed all but her hands, so she continued to serve by knitting socks. Learn more at RadioWomen.org. So Phil, what would you say the goals of the New Testament team are, and how do you hope these goals will have a significant impact on this project for the church and the world? One impact, uh, and in my opinion, potentially the most important impact, is it will be a resource to future Bible translators. Mm-hmm. They'll be able to go to these passages and see uh, the arguments of a group of scholars saying, look at this background. We need to be open to these possibilities. And here are the reasons an egalitarian uh, interpretation of the text makes better sense in context. Uh, when Bible committee people have access to that data, uh, they are more likely to make a change than if they don't have access. I'll give you one example. When the NIV uh, Revision Committee in 2011 uh, was doing its work, uh, I, along with many other scholars, were invited to give input. So I sent a letter to Doug Moo, the chairman of that revision committee, and I said, here are the instances where you have the verb in 1 Timothy 2.12, where it means to seize authority that one does not rightfully have. And the first instance where we have that verb meaning to have authority or to exercise authority uh, is 300 years after Paul. Uh, We really should go with assume authority and not have or exercise authority. And Doug Moo uh, gave that paper to every member of the committee, and they voted on it. And Doug made a phone call to me that same day and said, the committee has voted to change the translation from to have authority to to assume authority. Uh, At the same time, I sent the same letter with the same uh, study to the chairman of the ESV Revision Committee. and I never heard back from him, so I asked, what, what happened to this? How did the committee respond? And after several inquiries, he finally wrote back and said, well, I never gave it to the committee. So I didn't think it was that important. Hmm. Uh, so, But if when we have a book that's out there uh, about Bible translation on these issues, mm-hmm. even if the chairman of the committee doesn't give it to the members, the members themselves can get it. That's right. Right. Very good. Right. No gatekeepers. Okay. Yep. No gatekeepers. So Phil, I've heard that you waited many, many years before publishing your findings. And my question to you is, why did you wait? Why did you eventually publish your findings? And how important is this for the church? Oh my, oh my. Uh, First of all, when I made my discoveries, I realized that this is a hot potato issue in the church, and I feared division in the church. And uh, so after, oh my, it was seven years after I had made these discoveries, I prayed to God 
that if he wanted me to publish my work, mm-hmm. he had to make it really clear. So, mm-hmm. uh, but within 24 hours of that prayer, the president of the Evangelical Free Church of, Free Church of America, A.T. Olson, uh, contacted me and said, Phil, uh, I want you uh, to write up what you found about this issue. And the chairman of the Ministerial Association said, I'd like you to write up a position paper for the Ministerial Association. And someone gave me a copy of the Trinity Journal article by Doug Moo, in which he stated, and this is the same Moo who uh, later shared and phoned me so kindly, uh, he had written, quote, susceptibility to deception bars women from engaging in public teaching. There are some activities for which women are by nature not suited. Well, I believe the Lord spoke very clearly and answered my prayer. So I went ahead and did that. Uh, Why is it important? Many people did not raise biblical objections to slavery because they thought it might divide the church. But the church now acknowledges that not opposing slavery was a terrible mistake. We embrace racial reconciliation. We decry racial injustice. But God also demands justice for women. God opposes favoritism inherent in gender hierarchy and the subjugation of women that historically it has caused throughout history. So yes, this is not a minor issue. It is important for evangelism. It's important for how we relate to other people. It's important to the advancement of God's kingdom. It's especially important in marriage and how we relate. Inaccurate Bible translations and interpretations of passages that contribute to the abuse of women have caused millions of women to leave the church in America alone. Mm -hmm. And they've caused hundreds of millions of people around the world to hate Christianity Mm -hmm. and to hate the Bible. Mm -hmm. Um, Because the translations have given them an inaccurate impression of what the Bible teaches on this. The many examples of women who were leaders in the Bible and whom God gifted for that leadership and guided into that leadership show us that women's leadership is important to God. Mm. Those who limit the leadership of women impoverish the church limit the proclamation of the gospel, and oppose the Spirit's gifting and calling of women. And they act contrary to so many principles of Scripture that teach the equal standing of man and woman. Well done. Great. So the project will be wrapping up here pretty soon, and... I wonder if you can help the listeners understand uh, how they can partner with you in prayer or in any other way as 
I'm sure they would like to. Well, there's one very specific thing, uh, and that is my hearing is very poor. And I'm going to have a cochlear implant uh, July 31st. And I, I request that you pray that that operation will be successful and that I would be able to hear and communicate better because of that. Okay. How else can the listeners participate prayerfully with your project and the team? Well, uh, one thing that I think would be helpful to many people is my new book called The Bible Versus Biblical Womanhood. Uh, it, it puts the cookies on the lower shelf. So anyone can understand the argument clearly, and it's been very well received. That would be a very good way to help. Uh, and if you have uh, an opportunity to read the magazine called The Christian Post, it's recently had seven articles published by me so just click on the search button and search for P-A-Y-N-E, and you'll find those, and they may be helpful. Well, Phil, referring to 1 Timothy chapter 3, as it concerns overseers, you mentioned earlier that pronouns such as his, he, or him do not exclude women from these offices. Can you say a little bit more about that for us? Okay, well, yes. Uh, it's not just that they don't exclude women. They're not in the Greek at all. Uh, those have been added by the English. But the question, what about man of one woman? Uh, many people say, uh, how can a woman be a man of one woman? Therefore, it must be referring uh, to men. In Greek, there are two different idioms to describe fidelity in marriage. Uh, the first is what we have in the beginning of these qualifications in 1 Timothy 3 and also in Titus chapter 1, man of one woman. The second one is in 1 Timothy chapter 5, woman of one man, referring to the qualifications for widowers who are under church support. When the faithful person might be a man. Greek convention required the use of the form man of one woman. There is no form in Greek spouse of one spouse. Timothy Freiburg uh, counted between 7,500 and 8,000 cases in the New Testament where there's a grammatically masculine form that either must include women or could include women. John Chrysostom shows that he understood this in his homily on 1 Timothy chapter 3, regarding verse 12. He writes, quote, Deacons must be men of one woman. This is appropriate to say regarding women deacons also. <laughs> Although, although Chrysostom believed that women are inferior to men, he acknowledged that the idiom, man of one woman, in Greek, just like monogamy or monogamous in English, is appropriate to say regarding women as well as men. Consequently, man of one woman 
does not exclude women from the office of overseer in 1 Timothy 3.2, from elder in Titus 1, or deacon in 1 Timothy 3.12. As Gordon Hugenberger has shown, it's common for biblical requirements for men also to apply to women. Just think of the expression in the the Ten Commandments, uh, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Does that mean it's okay to covet the neighbor's husband? No, it doesn't. The expression for the man is assumed to apply to the woman. And the same is what Chrysostom understood here in the use of the idiom man of one woman. Interestingly, major complementarian scholars Doug Moo and Tom Schreiner both acknowledge that this expression, man of one woman, does not exclude women from the office of overseer or elder. Well, thank you. Excellent. Wonderful. And and Phil, really, thanks again for being on Mutuality Matters. It's a delight to see your face and hear your voice, and we look forward to your next visit on CBE's podcast. God bless you, and thanks again. So, and I would like to ask all of our listeners to pray for the the final wrap-up, both of the Old Testament team and the New Testament team, Um, and send your questions. If you have verses or ideas, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, And we thank you again for listening to Mutuality Matters, Women in Words, Why Bible Translation Matters. God bless you all, and thank you. CBE's Mutuality Matters podcast are those of its hosts and guests and do not purport to reflect the opinions or views of CBE International or its members or chapters worldwide. The designations employed in this podcast and the presentation of content therein do not imply the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of CBE concerning the legal status of any country, area, or territory, or of its authorities, or concerning the delimitation of its frontiers. 